Welcome to the Rich Room Podcast. I'm your host, Lindsay Sobel. Where you can master the art of enriching your life. What kind of kindergarten shit is this? And finding a path to financial freedom. Who the fuck was supposed to teach me how to do my taxes? So sit back, relax, and step into the Rich Room. You know I can't help these because they know they can never touch these. Welcome to the Rich Room Podcast, y'all. So I'm just going to dive right the fuck in because the season finale of Real Housewives of Salt Lake City aired last night, and I've been on the phone with my mom for the past hour breaking down the episode. And actually, right before that, I was on the phone with my friend Ryan, not my ex, different Ryan, and we were dissecting the episode and entertaining possible conspiracy theories. So if you're not a Salt Lake Housewives fan, just buckle the fuck up and we will make it through this together. So on the season finale, we learn that Monica, along with others who were not identified, created a fake Instagram account years ago called Reality Tees or something like that. And the account would post horrible stories about all of the ladies who were on the cast members of Salt Lake Housewives. The storyline for the last few episodes has been all about the ladies accusing Meredith of creating a fake account and sending DMs to people to try and stir up bullshit. And every time all the ladies ganged up on Meredith, they were like, how is Meredith being so calm about this? Why isn't she acting any different? And we found out that it was not Meredith who was behind the DMs and the fake Instagram account and that it was, in fact, Monica. And now that we know, looking back, it's pretty fucking obvious. Like, when the ladies were at lunch when they were in Bermuda and Monica's like, I literally got a DM from this account like an hour ago. And apparently the ladies were questioning that, like, the timing of that is weird. How would some random ass, you know, gossip account know that we're on a trip to Bermuda together. Very fucking suspicious. So we have Monica who was actively sending herself DMs and making it look like it was from some other account that she's not associated with and then tried to blame all of that on Meredith. So I know that Monica tried to paint the picture like what she did was only related to Jen Shaw years ago, Um, but she was actively on this account while on this season of the show. She's a fucking fraud. And I've been talking a lot of shit about Heather this season, but the bitch redeemed herself when she led the confrontation against Monica related to all these fucking allegations. I mean, Monica admitted that she definitely had a part in the fake Instagram account. And I will say that I do respect her for standing up at the table and st- and staying and facing all of these other ladies and owning up to some semblance of accountability. But she really didn't even own up to the accountability. What? Whatever. I thought Lisa Barlow was going to start throwing punches. She got up from that table like she was about to fucking do something. So Monica says that the account was created to take down Jen Shaw, who was apparently a terrible employer to Monica and is now serving a prison sentence. Hot fucking tip. The way Monica handled this is not the way you handle an issue with your employer. So Monica was apparently Jen Shaw's assistant. And for those of you who don't know, Jen Shaw is currently serving a prison sentence for pleasing guilty to wire fraud. And I believe it was allegedly taking money from the elderly. Not a good look. And Monica is claiming that Jen abused her as an employee. So 
Although this is not my rich bitch tip of the week, it's a hot fucking tip. If you are upset with your job and you feel like you are being abused, you can just quit and report it. There's a whole fucking agency devoted to employment claims. And if you're worried about money, there are so many things we can do in the interim now to get us by. We can drive Uber. We can do food delivery. We can do Postmates, Uber Eats. And you know, everyone is using that right now. Lisa from Miami Housewives literally racked up $10,000 in Uber Eats in one month. Literally $10,000. There is a market for food delivery or delivery of any kind in this day and age. My point is, if you have a car, and Monica does have a car because her mom, OLD, gave it back to her, you can find ways to make money. You do not have to lead an attack against your employer that would land your employer in prison. And from what, and from what I understand, Monica testified against Jen Shaw in the grand jury hear, hearing that led to her indictment. And what I can't stop thinking about is that Monica has four daughters from like, I would say that ages range from high school to even maybe a toddler. And although Monica may be justified and she maybe had been wronged by Jen Shaw, this is not how we handle that kind of situation. This is not how you want to teach your daughters how to handle a situation. And Monica has doubled down on her actions. In her solo interview, she's like, I don't think running a burner count on Instagram is bad. And she shows absolutely zero remorse for her deception. Is this like a normal thing that people do? Do people have fake Instagram accounts? Should I get one? My fake Instagram account would be me commenting on all of my own videos and being like, you are doing so great, sweetie. You look amazing. Oh my God, this is so funny. If I recall correctly, there was a person, a husband in fact, who was accused of making a fake count to bring down Jen Shaw. These people have way too much time on their hands. I will say the biggest revelation that we had was Heather finally admitting that Jen Shaw is the person who gave her the black eye last season. All this time, Heather kept saying she doesn't know who gave her the black eye, and that bitch let that shit go in the season finale. Man, there is nothing that unites people quicker than a common enemy. These ladies were all at each other's throats the entire season. And in the season finale, they are all like hugging each other and crying because truly, they all have been targeted by this fake burner account that Monica is a part of. <sighs> but the biggest issue that I have with Monica is her piss poor spray tan in her interview looks. I mean, she's got her spray tan on her whole entire body, but she forgot her hands and her hands look white as fuck and it's just, I can't stop looking at them when she's in doing her interviews and it just makes me think that she does not have a lot of attention to detail, um, which is evidenced by the sloppy lies that she put together. She does not have the skill to pull off a deception of this magnitude. I mean, she was telling on herself left and right. And now she's telling on herself that she got to spray tan because her hands are still white. And it just doesn't look good. You put, if, you, if you fuck up your tan, here's another hot fucking tip. If you fuck up your tan and you forget to tan your hands, there is body makeup. You can literally use body makeup. And let me tell you, if you're using a bronzer on your face that even is a shade or two lighter than your actual skin tone, your hands are going to look a different fucking color. You need to pay attention to that. You need to pay attention to these hands. So you can catch these hands. <laughs> I'm just kidding. 
Also, I lied. My biggest issue with Monica is that she referred to herself as Gossip Girl. Bitch, you fucking wish. This two-bit bootleg fucking National Enquirer wannabe. Like, this is some low-down dirty shit, which is a far cry from Gossip Girl on the Upper East Side. And at the end of the episode, Monica is like relishing in the attention, saying there's so much more to the story and you're going to want to hear it. Bitch, shut up. I don't think this is all going to land the way Monica thinks it's going to land. Like, I think she's going to be a one-season wonder and be shunned from the group. No one wants to be around someone who thinks it is appropriate to secretly video other people and then post it online under a fake account. You know, after the episode aired, I went and checked Monica's Instagram account, and she posted a series of photos a few minutes after the episode was over, and it's a collection of professional photos of her looking, well, skinny as fuck, so she's likely hopped on the Ozempic train, and she's holding up these fake newspaper articles of, like, with her picture on it, and she's, like, burning them, and one of the articles is covered in glitter, She took the time to plan this photo shoot and to cover that fake newspaper article in glitter. And the glitter newspaper has like graffiti writing on it that says, warming my hands on the bridges I've burned. Uh, that's not fucking good. Oh, her poor daughters. She took time to make this fake newspaper. Writing on this newspaper burning this newspaper there was a concept there was a fucking vision board i bet this was all pre-planned and then she's probably thinking i'm gonna drop this right after the episode airs y'all are gonna want to hear this warming my hands on the bridges i burned it's very cringy it's very very cringy the bitch is troubled is all i gotta say but of course i'm really looking forward to the three-part reunion that starts next week And if you're not watching the show now, this would be a good time to join because the shit is getting wild. It was lovely to see everyone post their family on social media over the holidays. It truly warms my heart to see these adorable children and everyone with their families with fireplaces and sweaters and food. It was cute. Real, real cute. Also, a big fucking kudos and a round of applause to the parents of young kids. Y'all are the real heroes out there, and you're better than Santa Claus. Yeah, I said it. You're better than Santa Claus. And no offense to to the dads out there, but the real MVPs are the moms. Making sure everyone gets a present. Making sure the kids get what they want. Decorating and making the house look nice. Y'all are the ones making the holidays happen. All moms need January off. All people need January off, actually. Because the holiday obligations have reached an unrealistic and unsustainable point. I can see why Vince Vaughn and Reese Witherspoon's characters in Four Christmases just decided to go on vacation during Christmas. It's not a bad idea. I do get a little emo when I see everyone and their families. And apologies for making everything about me, but it's taking longer than I expected to let go of the idea of me having that traditional life like I was ready I was ready to move to a suburb have more kids learn how to fucking knit or do crochet or sudoku or something and now everything has changed and while I'm physically in a new place which makes healing a lot easier let me tell you but even 
being physically in a new place does not have an effect on the emotional untangling and deprogramming that I have been going through and I'm still going through. Letting go of the idea of the life that I had planned for so long is really hard to let go of. Especially when I just got to a new place and I haven't really put down any roots here. So my life isn't filled with like new friends and hobbies and whatnot to compensate for the life that I thought I was going to have. Like most of the time I'm pretty good. And I credit that to going to therapy once a week since April. Therapy is fucking everything. But there are times that I feel pretty isolated and more times than you probably think. I feel isolated and I feel sad that my life is not on a traditional path. Because that's what I see from everyone else. I don't really see many people out there in my position. If y'all know someone who is kind of like me, could you please tell them to call me or text me? 504-224-9919. Okay, I'm going to stop being a little emo because just as Juicy Joe Judice would say from the Real Housewives of New Jersey... What are you going to do? I have a newfound love, fascination, and or obsession with the comment section on Instagram. The comment section of social media really gives you clarity on what we are working with as a society, and it ain't pretty. So the next time you're feeling down on yourself, mosey on down to the comment section on social media, and you really will start feeling better about yourself, and then simultaneously scared for the world. Okay, I had a pretty horrible thing happen to me. So when I was approved for my medical cannabis card in Florida, I had to fill out an application for like an actual physical card that would be mailed to me later. Well, when you're filling out your application, you use your driver's license information and somehow, I guess, you put in like your social security number and your information on your driver's license and all of the information from the DMV is pre-populated into this marijuana card registry so I have my driver's license information and I pop it into the little form online and all of my information from my driver's license is generated but I notice that the weight was incorrect well it was correct but 30 pounds heavier it turns out the lady at the DMV had sausage fingers or was drunk on the job or something and accidentally added 30 pounds to my weight So even though I'm an Ozempic graduate and I finally was at the weight that was listed on my driver's license that I added 10 years ago, now my driver's license information says that I'm actually 30 pounds heavier, which is not fucking cool. But then again, as Juicy Joe would say, what are you going to do? I think I'm really feeling Juicy Joe right now. I watched a marathon of vintage New Jersey housewives on Christmas morning and Juicy Joe was so hilarious when he was just watching his five girls open presents on Christmas morning. He wasn't even watching them. He was just laying down on the couch and had the video camera, which was not an iPhone camera, pointed in the other direction while he just lays down. He's not even making sure the bitches are in the frame. I saw a picture recently with Juicy Joe and his ex-wife Teresa and her current wife and her current husband Louie and all of the kids on vacation in like Costa Rica or something. I mean, they must be doing something right. I can't believe I just said that. It is 2024, y'all, and I have finally decided to go on maternity leave. 
No, I am not pregnant, but through therapy, I realized that I never took a maternity leave 18 years ago when my daughter was born. In fact, I haven't taken a break from going to school or working or being a parent since I was 16, and a bitch is tired. I don't think maternity leave should just be allowed if you have a job. Like, if you have a child, job or not, you should just be permitted maternity leave. Meaning, you should be given time to heal from the birth and given time to bond with your new child. I know female attorneys who have the opportunity to have maternity leave and are literally answering emails from the hospital bed, post-delivery. Like, we have set a real weird bar of expectations here in the United States. So about 18 years ago, I was induced early for my daughter to be born so that I could return to my junior year of high school. And I returned to high school about three weeks after giving birth and never really gave myself a chance to catch my breath until uh, April 2023. And here I am taking deep ass breath. <laughs> and here I am taking deep ass breaths. Isn't it weird that maternity leave isn't like a guaranteed thing? Like, even though each and every female who gives birth to a child goes through essentially the same process, we aren't all given the same amount of time or any time to recuperate. And we aren't all given the same pay, and a lot of us aren't even given any pay at all. Like, what in the fuck? Like, what in the actual fuck? Females aren't asking for a fucking vacation, but Damn, we should be given the space and the time to heal after having a child, bond with that child, and not to have to worry about paying our fucking bills for repopulating this goddamn planet. <sighs> the U.S. has a very, very poor policy for maternity leave, and as I understand it, other countries are doing a far better job than us. You know, first off, most businesses that I've encountered don't even have maternity leave. One job didn't offer health insurance, so no fucking dice on paid maternity leave. Wait, did you know that there are jobs that call taking time off from having a baby without getting paid, they call that maternity leave? Yeah, thank you for letting me leave my job, have a baby heal and return to the job, but not be paid in the meantime. Like, God bless you and your family, sir. And that is very common. That is very fucking common. I bet that's more common than actually having a paid maternity leave. I would fucking bet it. And the reason I say I would bet on it is because I've spoken to all of my female friends who are not just in the law industry, who are in all different kinds of industries, and they don't get fucking maternity leave either. I mean, some people do, obviously, but it, the general consensus is that the maternity leave options are fucking piss poor. One job had different set of maternity leave rules for the staff versus maternity leave rules for the attorneys, which I thought was really weird, and I don't even know if that's legal. Law firms are full of this weird class system of attorneys versus administrative staff. And I say law firms, I'm using that term broadly, but the ones that I've encountered, and I'm sure there are other places out there that are much better, but it's not, it hasn't been my experience. One job was like, yeah, so our maternity leave is really just a short-term disability, so you actually use your short-term disability policy? I don't even know how that fucking works. I'll be honest, I don't even know how that fucking works. There was one law firm that I worked at that offered 12 weeks paid maternity leave, which I think should be the bare minimum, and somehow that's actually the best case scenario. So now that I've decided to exercise my maternity leave, I got a lot of healing to do, and I'm so excited to bond with my child. Since my maternity leave was delayed 18 years, 
I've racked up some interest. And I implore all moms to have a real break or a vacation plan once you become an empty nester because you fucking deserve it. All jokes aside, I am actually very excited and grateful to have this time and me and my daughter have a fantastic bonding experience planned in the next few weeks. We will both be walking in the Chewbacca's Parade in New Orleans, so if any of y'all are attending, look out for us. Also, we might be going to Europe this summer, but that is still in the idea phase. And we would be going to Europe because my daughter was born on Bastille Day, which is the French Independence Day. So, yeah, that could be really fun to go to. So I'm late to this news, but apparently Cardi B and Offset are actually getting divorced. And I'm not sure how long Offset and Cardi B have been married, but the man has allegedly consistently cheated on Cardi B. And it's about damn time that Cardi left Offset. And I think this most recent entanglement is really what did it in for Cardi B. And I think she started realizing that she's the absolute shit. And Offset really ain't shit. She stayed with Offset a long time after he initially cheated on her. But if I'm being dead honest, Beyonce's Lemonade album has bought way more time for dudes who cheated than they originally would have had. For those of you who don't know, Jay-Z cheated on Beyonce years ago. There's speculation as to who he cheated on her with, but we believe it is Becky with the good hair. And Beyonce famously forgave him and produced the visual album Lemonade, which may be one of the best albums of all time. The two went to therapy, they did an album together, they did a world tour together, and they seem to be really fucking happy now. But the difference is, Jay-Z did the work. Jay-Z changed. Jay-Z evolved into a better version of himself. So all you cheating ass dudes should be thanking Beyonce because Beyonce bought you untrustworthy cheating ass dudes some time. Because I think every woman, including Cardi B, was like, if Beyonce can do it, so can I. Because I don't know if anyone else remembers this, but I will never forget it. Cardi B, after accepting Offset's proposal, after he cheated on her, she literally quoted Beyonce and said, if you do this shit again, you're going to lose your wife. Um, and I guess he did. I guess he lost it. He did it again. Oops, he did it again, and he lost his fucking wife. So good luck, Offset, because Cardi B couldn't have been the only one doing the work. It takes two to tango, rich bitches. Two people have to be doing the work. It can't just be one person doing the work, which is probably the worst group project situation possible when you're doing all the work. So last week I went to New Orleans to get my CLE credit so I can keep my law license active in Louisiana. I took an Uber from my house to the Miami airport and I had a lovely conversation with my Uber driver and I think I have fully convinced him to write a book. His name is Manuel and he had an amazing energy from the moment he arrived at my house. He made a great first impression by pulling up in a black Mercedes SUV, which would be normally classified as Uber Black, but I only paid for Uber Comfort, and this is what pulled up, so we were already starting off on the right foot. He helped me with my bags, which I greatly appreciated. That is a constant service that I've experienced with Ubers in Miami. The driver always helps me with my bags without me even asking, and I think that is such a nice touch. I do not get that same energy elsewhere. Right when I got in the car, he started rattling off a checklist of things that I would need to travel. He was like, do you have your ID? Do you have your phone? Do you have your medication? Now, 
This is a technique I utilize with my daughter Madison and I started doing it when she would pack a bag for the weekend. It was very comforting that my Uber driver, Manuel, was so invested in my traveling experience. We started the trip and I kindly asked Manuel to adjust the AC because it, because it was a little warm outside despite it being late December. There was a song playing on the radio and it was The Way You Make Me Feel by Michael Jackson. I like the song, but what I do know is that the HBO documentary about Michael Jackson and his alleged abuse did not make me feel great. I couldn't even watch the second part. I do not recommend that documentary. Well, I started singing along because, as everyone knows, the song The Way You Make Me Feel is playing in the pivotal finale scene in Center Stage where Jodie Sawyer dances the lead role in Cooper Nielsen's Senior Final Ballet Workshop. And Manuel thought that I was talking to him, so he turned the music down. And I was like, oh no, I'm good. I was just singing. It's a catchy song. And he started, he responds by going, hear, hear. Or it really, it wasn't like a low register, but he was trying to do the Michael Jackson, hear, hear. And he kept trying to nail the right key, hear, hear. And as someone who has mastered the Michael Jackson, hear, hear, I knew I would be able to execute flawlessly. So then I take a turn and go, and he was like, hey, perfecto. I love Manuel. Then Manuel started telling me about how he is in the process of buying an old green pastel 1957 Cadillac and that his father had a 1957 Cadillac in Cuba. And I just thought it was so sweet that he's buying the same year Cadillac that his dad had. He told me that he loves driving Uber because it allows him something to do and he really likes meeting people. Manuel said that his daughter is a movie producer in California and she used to be an actress, but it was an inconsistent profession and not very dependable in pay. See, Manuel and his wife moved to California when their daughter went to college. Nice to know I am not the only one who follows their child to college. So, he lived in California, it was in LA I believe, and went to all these fabulous restaurants and he was like, oh yeah, I've met so many celebrities. And I thought he was just going to say some like D-list celebrities that I would for sure know, like probably a few housewives on there. But Manuel said, I've met Nicole Kidman, Tom Hanks, Leonardo DiCaprio, Susan Sarandon. I was like, Manuel, you have such interesting stories. You should write a book. Then Manuel pulled out the good stuff from his life story. He was like, yeah, I came here from Cuba when I was 13. I was also forced into the United States draft and I was in Vietnam. I was totally intrigued. I told him that I think his 2024 goal should be to write a book and that I will be on the lookout on the shelves for his book because his story is just too interesting not to tell. I miss Manuel. I've definitely said this before, but the Southwest Terminal at the Miami airport is akin to the ninth circle of hell from Dante's Inferno. There is like nothing to eat. I was going to get a ham sandwich and ask the checkout person whether they had any mayo and mustard packets. I'm not sure if this has been established yet, but for those of y'all who are new to the rich room, I fuck with some sauces. I'm talking all sauces. Ranch, Catalina, honey mustard, regular mustard, Dijon mustard, soy sauce, yum yum sauce, eel sauce, spicy mayo. My first choice in hot sauce is crystals, but I also really like sriracha. My ham and cheese sandwich dreams were quickly dissolved because the checkout person did not have any mayo. She had mustard, she had ketchup, but no mayo. 
I just had a flashback to middle school. There was like this sesame seed hoagie bun ham and cheese sandwich that would frequently be served at my middle school. Most people really didn't like the sandwich, but I fucking loved it. And I would take anyone's sandwich who didn't want it. And sometimes I would even get someone else's lunch number and go through the line a second time. A bitch was hungry. The reason I loved this mediocre ham sandwich so much was because I unapologetically slathered it in mayo and a little mustard. That may be gross to some of y'all, but I don't care. I love sauces. And mayo, despite being used as a term to refer to a basic-ass white person, is probably my favorite condiment to use. Justice for mayo. I think Heather McMahon said that first, but I'm jumping on that bitch's bandwagon. Justice for mayo. Seriously. Instead of a tasty ham and cheese sammy, I opted for the safe choice of hummus and pretzels. I also don't know if I've shared this other fun fact with y'all, but I have tummy issues. Let me put it to you this way. I have no idea what it feels like to not be able to go number two. Like, it's the opposite of that problem. Like, I've had some real, real close calls, and I've even lost a few battles. And what I eat can significantly affect whether or not I'm going to have an emergency landing in the airport bathroom, which is good for no one. At the very same time, I like living on the edge. And I like to eat, and I like my sauces, especially when I'm traveling. My very best friend when I'm traveling is my handy-dandy emodium. If I'm on vacation, shit, if I leave the house, I have emodium on me. So if you see me in an airport and you're ready to go all in with a burrito or something, but not in the Southwest Terminal because there isn't shit, if you see me and you're like, ooh, my tummy's on the fritz, there's my bestie Lindsay, she'll for sure have emodium. And I will. And I'll give you some if you're really in a bind and I have some to spare. So I eat my hummus and pretzels. I take an emodium anyways because, like, why would I even take that risk? No one wants to have an emergency on the plane. Everyone knows what you're doing in there. It's like the walk of shame having to go back to your seat. So I take my emodium and a little later on we begin boarding the flight. I think it's been established I'm flying Southwest. I have always been a huge proponent of Southwest. I learned in college about how Southwest was a leading cost cutter in the airline industry. Now, I don't think the planes have them anymore, but there used to be these like plastic baggies at every seat and each baggie had the Southwest logo. And Southwest discovered that if they did away with the Southwest logo on the little baggies, it would save them a million dollars each year and they could continue to have cheaper flights for their customers. Well, I think Southwest took the cost cutting too far because the new planes are absolute shit. Southwest planes, or most of them, have two rows. One on the right, one on the left with a skinny ass aisle in the middle. Each row has three seats and there are like 40 rows of seats or something like that. And each row of seats, except the seats at the front of the plane, has under the seat luggage storage in front of it. As I recall, all the planes that I have been on have had the exact same space allotted for the under the seat storage in front of them. Now, I have been on the newer Southwest planes before and I never noticed this problem, but I believe I never noticed this problem because I never took the aisle seat. But on the day after Christmas, my flight from Miami to New Orleans and continuing on to Houston was entirely full. The gate agent even told us prior to boarding, please do not try to avoid eye contact with other people on the plane while they are boarding because this 
will be a full flight and someone will be sitting next to you. That kind of made me chuckle. So I boarded the plane and I see an empty seat in like the third or fourth row and it's on the aisle and there are very two unsuspecting, very warm, normal looking women sitting in the middle seat and in the window seat. And I had a travel plan. Everyone fights over the overhead bins, but I have a very slender backpack that would slide directly under the seat in front of me, and I was just going to put my tote bag ever so delicately on top of it. Very easy, and I had just done this in a flight earlier in December flying southwest, so I had a plan. But my plan was derailed when I realized that the seat storage for my luggage, which was the seat directly in front of me, is considerably smaller than the seat storage for the middle seat and the storage for the window seat. And my slender backpack could not even fit sideways under the seat in front of me. That space was so fucking small. But I already knew that the overhead bins were packed to the brim. So I took a chance and I asked my neighbor who had a considerable amount of extra room under the seat in front of her, if she wouldn't mind if I put my bag there just during takeoff and landing, and then I would take it out when we were safely in the air. She was so sweet, and she agreed to let me put my bag there. And I told her and her friend that these flight attendants are very, very strict right now with the rule about the bags near their feet. No sooner had I said that, had those words left my mouth. A flight attendant comes up and says, uh, ma'am, you need to push the bags all the way under your seat. And the ladies looked at me like I had just predicted the fucking future. And I was like, bitch, I told you. I told you. I fucking told you. I think that the reason that these flight attendants are so strict about this bag rule lately is because of the Matt Reif comedy special on Netflix. I think I've talked about this before. I thought it was a good first Netflix special for Matt Reif. I feel like he wasn't sticking to his brand of comedy and actually deviated from what people were expecting of him. It's like he built this entire brand online of doing crowd work and it was so funny and it felt so organic, but he didn't do any of the crowd work in the special. And I feel like when you're just getting started out, like you need to be consistent with what you're giving people. I don't know if y'all can hear, there is a fucking helicopter and it looks like the mic is picking it up, but I can't tell. So I'm just going to wait a second. One topic that Matt Reif covered was regarding putting his backpack under the seat in front of him on a flight. And I believe Matt Reif had a similar issue to me where his backpack would not fit under the seat. But instead of asking his neighbor whether he could put his backpack there or finding another solution, he decided to put the bag by his feet the entire time. So Matt Reif's argument was that if there is an emergency, his bag is not going to obstruct him from being able to escape. And I actually do understand where he's coming from. I actually was thinking about this when I was experiencing luggage space inequity on the Southwest flight from Miami to New Orleans. Like, if, if you're going to get less storage, you shouldn't have to pay as much. That's a fucking fact. And I was thinking to myself, like, why can't I just leave my bag by my feet? And I realized that the issue wasn't really whether if I left my bag by my feet, but if everyone did that, I can see how it would be a fucking problem. Like, if everyone didn't follow the luggage rule, the aisles could possibly and would likely be hella obstructed. So I think we kind of need to realize that some of these rules don't seem to personally apply to you, but they are in place for the greater good. And it's also not that fucking hard. But apparently, it's real hard for Southwest to make the under-the-seat storage space even amongst the three seats. 
Honestly, I can't even imagine what it's like to be a flight attendant these days. It cannot be easy with cell phones and drunk and unruly passengers. And I'm not just talking about myself. I'm just kidding. (laughs) I hope they get paid well, though. So I was in New Orleans to get my CLEs, which are continuing legal education credits to maintain an active bar license. And Louisiana recently changed the rule about virtual CLEs, and now eight and a half hours of my CLE credits had to be done in person. So I traveled to New Orleans to make sure I kept my law license in Louisiana active. And the CLEs were generally good. I love that these CLEs are available at the end of the year and allow an attorney the opportunity to get all of the required credits. It's very, very convenient. My biggest critique is with the lack of visual presentation. Some had visual presentations, like a PowerPoint to coincide with the lecture, but too many did not have visuals with their presentations, and I found it really ineffective. I just feel like the mechanisms that we use to teach lawyers and to teach law students is really not the most effective, and I think it could use a retool. Like some presenters just sat up the front of the room and spoke for an hour. One person was literally advocating for a PowerPoint presentation in mediations without using a PowerPoint presentation for the lecture. The irony. There was one person who was just simply reading the rules to people, the new rules that were updated, and that's just not helpful either. At the same time, I don't know what's going on in these people's lives, and I know that they're probably extremely busy, and to even give a presentation is hard. So I don't want to be too hard on these people who came into the lecture after Christmas. I did hear a fantastic presentation about AI and the law. I don't think AI is going anywhere, and one of the attorneys was talking about the expectation of an opinion being released. I think it was coming out of New York, saying that it would almost be unethical to not use AI because it is so advantageous to the client. Pretty interesting shit. Well, there was also a well-intentioned CLE on burnout and compassion fatigue. I was really excited, you know, because the self-care shit is right up my alley. First off, I could have taught the damn thing, but the therapist who was teaching did several meditations that I just didn't feel were well-received, but she did take us through an emergency meditation, which I have used a similar one when I was still working at the law firm. But I found the one that I did was better, so I'm going to share it with y'all. No, I'm not going to do a fucking meditation with you right now. You can do it on your own. But the app is called Smiling Mind, and it's a free app, and there is an SOS meditation in there, basically for when you're having an extreme amount of anxiety or panic coming on. And it's like a three-minute meditation, and it, it really does help, and I've used it several times to make it through the day. So if you're interested, I recommend the app called Smiling Mind. It helps with meditation practice, and it's the best meditation app I've seen out there, but there are, there's tons of them out there. So if you don't like that one, there's tons of other ones to try. I feel that the substance of the CLE was helpful in managing symptoms of working in the legal profession, but what was missing from the CLE or from the ones that I saw was instructions really for managing people. I find that managers tend not to be very good at managing people. So with this burnout CLE, it's almost like you're putting a band-aid on a bullet hole instead of addressing the actual issues. I will say this, I had a bit of a life-affirming moment because as I'm sitting in the CLEs, I am thinking to myself, I am so fucking happy that I'm not doing this anymore. 
this was draining for me. This was not meant for me. This was good for me for a while and it definitely will serve me in the future, but I need to let go of this bitch. And I did. I still think it's smart to keep a law license though. And it was nice going to New Orleans and experiencing some cold weather because it's been pretty damn warm in Miami. So like I said, I've definitely experienced my own burnout. Last year, around July, I took over handling all hurricane files for a certain client. And these cases had like accelerated deadlines and moved very quickly. I worked almost every weekend, if not every weekend, from July until I resigned in December. I remember last December, I was a bridesmaid in my friend's wedding, meaning that I would most likely have to take the weekend off from working because, you know, bridesmaid shit, you get your hair done, you get your makeup done, you hang out with your friends all day. Now, this December was different from any other December that I had ever had while practicing law. Every other December, the work slowed down a lot. People went on vacations, there were so many family obligations, so the work always slowed down in December. There was even a running joke that plaintiff's attorneys don't even work in December. So, the paralegal who was working on my files quit, I believe, in November, and there was no other paralegal to spare. So I had to do all the work on my files that would normally be assigned to a paralegal, in addition to all of my attorney work. Another paralegal was hired, but this person had absolutely zero litigation experience, and the person training my new paralegal did not do a very good job. Well, not like the new paralegal was doing anything, but the person ended up quitting too. And I believe it was at the very beginning of December. So the new paralegal quit, and I'm just trying, and I'm just fighting to keep my head above water. I was working hours, long hours that were not sustainable, and it was really hard to manage working around the daily panic attacks. So I had my friend's wedding coming up, and I planned to work while the bridesmaids were getting ready. Uh, That was my original plan, but I told myself that I actually needed a break and it would be pretty fucking rude of me to be a bundle of anxiety in the corner on my laptop on my friend's wedding day. So that was the first weekend that I had not worked in months. And it was so nice. It was really nice, but I knew that I was going to have to pay for it. And boy, did the Sunday scaries hit me hard that weekend. At that time, I was having constant panic attacks. The panic attacks were constant, even in the middle of the night. My birthday was that upcoming weekend, and I had plans to go to Doris Metropolitan with my friends. I was looking forward to getting the caviar. Oh my gosh, I forgot to tell you all this, but on my birthday this year, like a, like a week ago, I got in an Uber to go to the spa, and when I jumped in the Uber, the woman was super chatty, and she was like, yeah, I have twin girls, and today is their birthday, and I was like, oh my God, today is my birthday, and she was like, no fucking way, and I was like, really? That's actually crazy. Okay, back to the burnout. So the persistent thought that was going through my head was, when am I going to make up the work I didn't do this weekend? When am I going to catch up? When am I going to get caught up? Can I get caught up? Get caught up. I love Usher. Taking that weekend for my friend's wedding seriously put me behind, which is actually insane if you stop and think about it. So it was my birthday coming up that weekend, and I'm not going to work on my birthday to catch up on fucking work. I'm just not going to fucking do it. And then the next weekend was Christmas, and there's no way I'm working Christmas weekend. And my January was packed with deadlines. And it became 
too much at that point. It became apparent that I was not going to be able to do the work. I was actually looking forward to my December slowing down like it had for the previous six years of practicing law because I really, really needed a break. But there was no time on the calendar for a break. And the work swallowed me up and I just let it happen. And I was communicating with my job that I was having a very difficult time mentally and express the frequency and intensity of my panic attacks. But there wasn't really any options at that point and there were no solutions being offered. And I was like, I can't do this anymore. I physically and mentally cannot do this anymore. I had to choose me. I had to break away from it. And I'm really, really glad that I did because I've pretty much severed from something that was really draining me and I wasn't pouring back into myself at that time. So the well was fucking bone dry, honey. I don't even think I knew how to. I didn't even know how to pour back into myself. That's what I'm learning right now. I am learning how to actually take care of myself right now. And I have to say, I'm doing a, I'm doing a fine job. Everything is going okay. But if I was still working in an office setting, I would try to implement these three things. First, I would suggest that my office take a week off for everyone to catch up. I've heard of some major companies deciding to have a week for everyone to be off or something like that. And I'm not saying everyone should be off, but I think it would be easier to convince management to have an entire week where there's like no active work being done and the entire week is to play catch up. Like take a law firm, for example. If you could block out a week where there's no one sets a trial, no one schedules a deposition, no one sets a court hearing, if you can manage that, and then you have everyone come in that week, all hands on deck, and you do all that busy work prep that you have been putting off the entire year. And you also can address actual office issues at that time. People need time to catch up on shit. That would be something I would try to implement if I were still working in an office. But just because I think it's a great idea doesn't mean the powers that be would feel the same. And in that time, I would ask for meetings. I would be like, I would like to set a meeting to discuss X. And I would like to block your time for 30 minutes without distractions, without you looking on your computer, without taking other calls, without you texting, without you reading something else. I want your full fucking attention. Yeah, that's what I would try to do. Y'all management would fucking hate me. (laughs) Here's this bitch trying to improve shit again. Can't she shut the fuck up? We already had a pizza party this month. Second, next, I would set boundaries. Less boundaries within my workplace, more boundaries so that work doesn't bleed into my home life. And when I was working in an office and when I was raising my daughter when she was growing up, I feel like I wasn't very good at this. And I wish I would have had more access to stuff about mental health and boundaries and all this kind of stuff because I feel like I would have greatly benefited and so would she. But here we are and I mean like, what are you going to do about it? It is what it is. Juicy Joe, I miss you. Finally... I would set an alarm to go off every night or something after the kids have gone to bed so you're like less likely to be interrupted, but just block off 15 minutes every night at the same time. Maybe put on some headphones and just reflect on your day. What went on during your day? What went right during your day? What did you learn that day? I think we get really bogged down on like the years. Like this is going to be my year. 2024 is going to be my year. And the reality is... And it took me a really long time to realize this, even though every self-help person says it. The reality is, 
is that the way you live each and every day is a reflection of how you live your entire life. Also, the way I like to look at it is that each and every day is a new opportunity to get it right. Every day is a rebirth. Every day is a new opportunity. And this is the attitude that I implemented in 2022 because I felt like I was failing in my life every single day. I was reading all the self-help books at the time. And that's the thing. I've done all the self-help work so you don't really have to. The issue I was having was that I was agonizing over all of my past decisions, but also dreading what fuckery the next day was bound to bring. And all of this worrying made me miss out on the present days. And if I'm being completely honest, I'm kind of having the same issue now. I keep having this recurring thought in my head like, saying you should be farther along in business than you are. You're wasting the amazing opportunity you have. You should be over the divorce by now. It wasn't even a bad breakup. I've just been minimizing my experience and worrying about the fact that I still feel like I'm grieving the loss of my life that I had worked so long for. And I'm being really hard on myself about my healing and getting over it and stuff like that. And it's okay for me to just not be fine. So now it's time for my rich bitch tip of the week. It has to do with another daily practice that all these self-help people preach. Here's the thing about all the self-help people out there. They are all basically saying the same thing, but in a different way. Self-help is like getting fit and healthy. Like there are multiple ways to achieve the same goal. You just have to find what works for you. Most of the self-help people do not work for me. I don't like the voice that a lot of them talk in like, hey guys, this is Lindsay here with your guided visualization into manifesting the life you want. Uh-uh, I, need, I can't take it. I need, to, I need someone to say the word fuck or bitch or something like that. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, hey bitch. Yeah, see that, I would listen to that. I think Jackie Schimmel did something of that nature and it was pretty funny and I don't know why she stopped. So my rich bitch tip of the week is to try and implement journaling. I'm not perfect about journaling, but I do it on most days. And I started doing it about a year ago with this journaling app on my laptop called Day One. Well, over the holidays when I was feeling a little bit emo, I went back and read some of my journal entries from the last year. And it was weird reading these entries from this perspective that I have now of clarity. The issue to me now was so obvious. And it was really nice to see the growth that I've had. And if you want, one day you can turn your journal into a book. I have basically written a book. It's a sad book, but it's a book nonetheless. But I'm glad that I have it and I'm going to keep doing it. It also feels like very, very cathartic to get things off your mind. Phil Stutz, who I'm a major proponent of, said something to the effect that when you journal, you get to know yourself better because the information just flows directly out of you. He said it more profoundly than I just did, but you get the idea. I just want to take a minute and reflect on where I was a year ago with regards to this podcast. I attempted to launch this podcast for about a year before I actually launched it. It took a very long time for me to get comfortable in front of the camera. I mean, every time 
So for those of you, if you're just listening to this podcast, I video record it so that I can make videos to promote myself on social media. It took me a very long time to get comfortable in front of the camera. I mean, every time I would look at myself on camera, I would start to cry. (laughs) Seriously, it's kind of embarrassing, but I was just so self-conscious. And honestly, I was in an obviously terrible headspace. So I think the way that I was feeling at that time affected the perception of myself, which was very negative. But here I am recording the 18th episode of my podcast posting videos to social media to promote my podcast on a near daily basis, I have grown a lot. And it took me a really long time to get started and it was hard for me mentally, emotionally. So, but just look at me now. Look at me now. I'm getting paper. Actually, I'm not getting any paper at all. I regret to inform y'all that I've gone paperless. (laughs) What's that MIA song? I fly like paper, get high like planes. Okay, one last thing before I go. All these self-help gurus have been saying the same thing in the past week. Start thinking about what your word for 2024 will be. A simple word or phrase that reflects what you want for 2024. My word came to me very easily, and it is renaissance. And it's not just about Beyonce. I feel as if I'm going through a personal renaissance and with a rebirth or a renaissance comes lots of challenges because everything is brand new so what I need for myself for my personal renaissance is patience and understanding and grace for myself that this process is not going to be quick and I will not figure everything out right away and that is okay Thank you for listening to episode 18 of The Rich Room. Text me at 504-224-9919. Text me at 504-224-9919 if you have any topics you would like me to discuss. I'll do it. Follow me at Lindsay underscore Sobel and also follow at The Rich Room Podcast. Leave us five stars everywhere you can. Bye, bitches. (laughs)